Welcome back to the Myths That Make Us podcast. Today we have on one of the most recurring guests. It is Michael Phillips. He is as recurring as the ego is whenever you do enough of a psychedelic. It always comes back. Um, we just get into the sauce like we always do on these podcasts. Um, he is one of the guests that come on where we don't make a plan about what we're going to talk about. We just dive into it. And so if you're interested in my mind and his mind melding together, this is the episode to be checking out. If you want to support the podcast, the best way that you can do that is go on iTunes and manifest five stars, if that is honestly how you feel about this podcast. And also share the episode with anybody that you think it might resonate with or might, you know, help improve their trajectory of their day even by 1%. And share it on social media, whatever way that resonates with you. I'm really grateful that you guys listen. I'm not going to waste any more of your time. On to the podcast. Namaste. Michael, finally, we are doing yeah. a podcast in person, man. Yeah. Welcome. I feel like we've been doing it, but now we have to pay attention to what we say because other people are going to hear it. Exactly. Yeah. We yeah, we <laughs> absolutely have just got right into the flow. Um a thing that I was about to talk about that I thought we should just start the podcast is I've noticed over the course of my life that there are words that when they're first presented to me, I fucking um dismiss them. Hmm. And then as I learn more, it's almost like I have to uh bring up this word again and then trans or like i have to alchemize it in a way because keeping it like in the rock is keeping me from a part of understanding like mm -hmm. nature mm -hmm. <clears throat> so for example god was one of those words yeah. that like for the longest time i was just like that's bullshit and then as i started to have more personal experiences i'm like okay i actually need to take this word back and like play with it because there's a whole realm of the human experience that I'm not connecting to because, I, because I've immaturely dismissed this word. And we were just talking about dimensions. Mm -hmm. And that is for sure a word that when I hear people start talking about dimensions, <laughs> yeah, right. my fucking eyes glaze mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I've been realizing in the last like two years, it's this weird feeling that's kind of hard to articulate, but it's the feeling of, oh, that's a word that used to make my eyes glaze over. And now it doesn't. What happened? Hmm. You know, and like um, a big one recently is psychedelic medicine is a thing hmm. that used to make my eyes glaze over. And now it fucking, I, it does not make my eyes glaze over. And like when you were talking about dimensions and the way that you were talking about dimensions, <laughs> it's like I could feel for the first time m my eyes not glaze over at that word. Yeah. And there's also a big word that I know I need to deglaze and it's quantum. Like when, yeah. when I well, hear- Well, maybe you shouldn't. I mean, dude, there, there's a lot of people parading that word around like it's right. a thing. It's like, it, I feel like that's one of those words that's almost like a magic trick. For sure. Because people it's will- It's like a veil that people yeah, can hide behind. They'll use that word and then it'll be like, and the answer to this mystery is quantum. Right, exactly. Quantum. Yeah, they like, they like take, you know, like pull it out of the hat and- they're either using it as a convenient explanation for you know whatever it is that they're trying to push or they don't really understand it themselves or they you know narrowly understand one interpretation of it like the copenhagen interpretation yeah. or whatever where you know 
consciousness impacts the root level of matter and nothing becomes a thing until like the wave uh, form of potential doesn't collapse until somebody so you observed. Know, yeah observes a thing. Um, and you know, I've that's one of those that I'm I've just become sort of agnostic on, just like anything. But um, I've become sort of agnostic on because you know, Sam Harris and really intelligent people who are more on the materialistic side of the equation will explain why that that's a faulty way to use that interpretation. And then other really smart people like Bruce Lipton will like talk about talk about it. So I just I just land right. somewhere in the middle, like I right. always do. It, I also feel that way about politics and also so there's this idea that i was talking about with someone today and it's like the way the human mind works or one of the ways it works is that we get a couple of data points mm -hmm. and then we find a word that is a low resolution word that covers a huge amount of the map yeah, yeah. and then we use that huge amount of the map as if it's a single entity and the classic example is the left or the right we're using a single word to talk about millions and millions of human beings. Mm -hmm. And we'll say things like the right did this or the left did that. Yeah. And that's just another example of like, I can feel my brain glaze over in the sense of like, I know that the person who's talking to me because of the language they're using can't it's like they're trying to do surgery with a sledgehammer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's just like, this is not how I want to spend my time. Right. And so I think like, I don't know, there, there's just been this feeling that I've been feeling in the last two years where like, I'm starting to, um, I'm starting to break through a lot of my own barriers around certain words that have kept me stuck. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. I, and I just felt that happening when you were talking about dimensions. Yeah, it's weird when you, have to you know everybody actually has to contextualize every single word you, you have to yeah. it's just and we don't realize that we're doing that a lot i mean when you're young you're not realizing that oh i'm thinking of this thing as a concept not of whatever it actually is right and then of course you can go all the way down to the robert anton wilson <laughs> korzybski yes please yeah korzybski level of it where it's just like well everything's a fucking concept everything that comes through your your retina is Every a concept. Thought. It's like right. it's your brain is, you know, picking out this piece of information from, you know, its sensory field and then it's going into this complex of conditioning, you know, and it's it's not whatever it is that you're perceiving. At least it's not as it appears to be and whatever it actually is, we have no fucking idea. You know, look at the universe through uh infrared. It looks like mycelium. It doesn't look like that to my eyeball, but it seems like that that's measuring some real data that I don't have access to. Yeah. So yeah, man, it's contextualizing every single subject through the lens of who you are is like what gives you an actual understanding of whatever this is versus just being told it. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, a great example would be telling someone what a psychedelic is like versus experiencing it. Right. It's, I mean, how can you even compare the two? Right. You know, it's like, and that's an extreme example, but everything's like that. You know, like literally everything is like that. Until you experience a thing, you have some faulty concept. Alfred North Whitehead has a crazy, amazing quote about like the folly of uh, confusing the concept for the actual thing. And I don't remember the exact wording of it, but people should look up this quote because it's it's absolutely tremendous. And 
he's one of those philosophers I want to get more into. And Same. Every time I Same. read, every time I read him his stuff, it's just so cool. his intellect right. was just gargantuan. This dude had a gargantuan intellect, both yeah. analytical and philosophical. Yeah, yeah. The, I I constantly fantasize about. I wish I could just pause time and, dude, I will be in solitary confinement for a hundred years if you just let me have all the books. Like, mm. like I will take the pain with that. You know, in in order to have that, like. 100 years of pause time and I can just read and write, you know, mm -hmm. and, and then I'll come mm -hmm. back. But he's one of those people that every time I see a quote from him, I'm like, yeah, for sure I have to go down there. Um, what have you found to be the current things that you're most interested in right now? Because your mind's always grabbing new things. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious what's on the tip of the prefrontal right now. For me, it's definitely, um, you know, as, as we've talked about, I'm always trying to figure out how to present the information that I am constantly orbiting and put it in the most attractive container and the most potent container, like get it down to some sort of like potent elixir that makes it seem hyper relevant for everybody. And I was thinking about this, especially in the context of uh, the book that I'm working on. What What is it, especially for my audience, which, you know, I look at all the demographics, it's dudes. It's dudes like us who have the same curiosities mm -hmm. as we do. And there's something really fabulous about knowing that because it's like they probably want the same things that you and I want. Right. They want contextualization and they want something actionable and they want something that feels, you know, like it's burning hot. Like it's like it's right there. It's not bullshit. It's not fluffy. It's not some difficult to understand concept. It's like the distillate of what is it that that you know will help me make this shit make more sense. And by this shit, I mean life in general. Sure. And for me, it's like contextualizing things in terms of struggle because struggle is this thing that we have an extremely odd relationship with where, you know, as soon as you hear the word struggle, it's like, oh, struggle, I don't want to struggle. But as soon as you remove struggle from your life, what the, what is life? It's like, it's pointless. It's you know? depression it's, and anxiety absolutely. when you're seeking to avoid struggle, yeah. Absolutely. So what I'm trying to figure out right now is what the most vital struggles are in a person's life. Like what, what are the vital struggles that every single person needs to engage in interesting and then once you start to think about that i think the sort of hegelian dialectic becomes a really potent tool because you know for for people who aren't familiar with that it's you know if if someone puts forth an idea immediately a polar opposite to that idea is implied right yeah like you know if if you're a philosopher in ancient greece and you're like i think the true state of the universe is, you know, I think the, the the primary element is fire because, you know, the sun is hot and, you know, there's there's vital fire inside you. It's your soul, like whatever. Someone can and will and did come along and say, well, actually, I think it's water, <laughs> you know? Right, and, then right, there, right. and then from that polar opposite argument, there's like a synthesis that you can you can see the wisdom in both. And I think struggle because we can easily turn it into a binary thing like that. You know, I mean, it's like a tug of war. I mean, that's the, that's almost like. And the, the opposite of struggle is. The opposite of struggle? Yeah. Well. Like what's the thing that it implies? Well, 
I think that each struggle, you know, it become it can become this kind of tug of war, right? You can view it as like, you know, there's order and there's chaos. So, you know, what is the synthesis of order and chaos in my particular situation? How do I, you know, surf that? Mm. And how do I make the most of those two concepts and harmonize them? Because again, okay, what is life without order? It's fucking utter chaos. Like you can't, right. you, you can't have a life with no order. What is life with only order and no chaos and no disruption? Dead. Yeah. So it's like, what? so what for me is the synthesis? And I think thinking of life as this act of constant synthesis seeking rather than there's an answer. There's an answer. I'm going to find an answer, an acute thing that I can, you know, hang my hat on. I can believe in and a, a religion I can belong to. That might work for you. But for me, it doesn't. But what does work is that a constant balancing act, a constant where where is the you know, where is the point where I need to set my finger to like make the baton not fall over? For sure. And I think that's much more realistic. So for me, it's about defining those like dialectical opposites and then figuring out where is the synthesis for me personally? Right. And so what are the exercises that can get me there? What are the concepts that can get me there? What are the actions that can get me there? There's a lot of stuff that's coming up in my, mm -hmm. in my mind. So uh, one thing is you've seen the flow chart of flow where it's- um, The stir thing? Or, um, so I'm thinking of specifically, uh, me, me high cheeks at me highs uh -huh. research and he, you know, and a really low resolution map of how to get flow is it's that balance between boredom and anxiety. Yeah. And if you can get it just right, mm. you enter that flow state. And that sounds like if you can get the balance of order and chaos, just right, you get a flow state. Um, and it sounds like well, so then I guess what my first question is, what are some of the things that come up for you about what are some of the primary or necessary struggles that you think we should engage in? Mm -hmm. Ordering chaos is one of them because what that means, and I, I'm still figuring out what this actually means in you know an actual concretized sense, but there's, there's a few of them. So there's order and chaos. There's doing and being, right? Like what are like, what are you at your core underneath what you do on a daily basis? And how do you take that, you know, that stillness or whatever? I, one of the things I want to talk to you today about is about meditation. Yeah. But when you contact that and you sort of, you know, it, it elevates your activity. It, like there's a, it's hard to explain if, if you haven't, you know, not to make myself sound like I'm a, I'm a super experienced meditator because I'm absolutely definitely still a novice. But as soon as you get into that, like that stillness place, the place of, you know, behind the the and, and dimensions, I think, are actually a good to go back to what we we're talking about at the beginning or sort of a, a good metaphor for this is like there's sort of a dimension of thought. There's like a dimension of thought. And then underneath the dimension of thought, there's like the canvas that perceives the thought. Right. And it's like that canvas is very mysterious, like tr trying to understand where that canvas is, what it is like the, the viewpoint from which you're witnessing thoughts. That's closer to the pure nature of your mind, of yourself is like that place of pure witnessing, no judgment, you know, watching the thought, watching the sensation come into your ear, 
all of these different things. That's what you really are. So how do you harmonize that with that dimension of thought? You know, so that's what I mean when I say like there's a synthesis between doing and being. Yeah. It's not that you're going to control your thoughts. It's not that you're going to control all your actions. That's a that's fucking a myth and not a myth in 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 the in the valuable Joseph Campbell sense. That's like a that's like a liar telling yourself if if you think you're ever going to control your thoughts or control all of your actions. But there is a synthesis. There is there is a way that you can live your life in in the light of that place of stillness and then channel that into the daily activities, the thought patterns, the habits, the recursive ruminatory things that we all just do on autopilot. There's, There's a way to merge those two things. And I have some ideas about that, but it's not, you know, the point, the point of all of this about the book, about all the stuff I'm talking about, it's not to come up with hacks. It's not to come up with, here's your answer. Wake up in the morning, do, do 69 pushups. Like that's it. You know, it's, it's not that it's, it's not that it's about starting like a conversation about these things. And it's ultimately going to be up to the individual reading it to come up with like what that looks like for them. There are exercises that I think would grease the wheels for sure, but it's going to be like, you know, it would be like what you write in a journal versus what I write in a journal. It's going to be completely different, right? you know? So it's, it's, it's again, it's, and, and there's a synthesis there too, between like the exercise and then how you like what goes down on the piece of paper, the exercise is on, you know, it's like, there's that implied constant duality that you have to figure out the, the harmony point for, for just you. I'm jumping all over because like a lot of this for me is still under construction for sure, you know, but I think that there's definitely something there. There's definitely something there like under understanding what the battle lines are and where you should be standing on them, which battle lines you should be on and which ones that like are not consequential that you should just abandon. Right. Because you can't fight every war. You just can't. Absolutely. So there's an idea that I feel like it's going to be the idea that I'm going to recurrently try to explain to people because I think it's the idea that will help people the most or at least it's the idea that I connect to the most that I can share that I think would resonate because it's not me wording someone else's words. It's shit that I feel like I've digested. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's like, in order to know what battles to pick, okay, in order to know what battles to pick, you have to pick for yourself what your goal is or what it is that you're wanting to do with your life. And... I think in order for you to do that, you have to take some time to get still. And then you have to, not have to, if you choose to take some time to really imagine what your ideal future self would look like. Like if you could get past the cliches and the inner critic in you that's telling you that that's not worth your time doing, and you really try to connect to if I did everything that I knew I wanted to do mm-hmm. and I stopped doing everything that I can feel in my body that I should not be doing, what is the human that I could be mm-hmm. 50 years from now? What, what do they look like? What do they do? Who are their friends? What are their children like? What skills do they have? What type of friendships do they have? What have they built? 
And if you really connect to that, I think there's this thing that happens in us that you can't imagine. If you get still enough, mm -hmm. you can't imagine other than what your truth is. Like you could feel whether or not you're really imagining your ideal self or the ideal self that maybe your partner wants from you or your yeah. parents want from you or maybe your kids want from you. And I really feel that the closest thing that we can get to God mm -hmm. is really to connect to the thing we could be, you know? Yeah. Here's an even here's an even crazier thing to bolt onto that. What would God do if He was in your body? Mm. What would God do if He was in your body? It's kind of it's it's kind of a different way to put the same thing that you're putting forth. No, I you know? love it because whatever we mean by God, that thing is in your body, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I don't think that that's a metaphor. I think that there. So, my favorite example, uh, stolen from Young but really feels like it's a part of my heart now is in the acorn, there is a knowing that's millions of years old mm -hmm. about how to become an oak tree. Mm -hmm. And it's not guaranteed to be an oak tree because things can happen in the environment to destroy it. Yeah, But you can fucking lay cement over it and it's going to work every single day with what it has to become an oak mm -hmm. tree. Mm -hmm. We have that in us, that energy is in us but we have a conscious mind of cement layered on top of it. And we are godlike in our ability to inhibit our godlikeness. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. we don't need more, we need less. Sure. Yeah. And anything that personally helps you connect to stillness and helps you connect to that force, which is churning in you right now. Yeah. It's like, um, it knows you, you on some level know what you're meant to be. I believe that, like, you know. I think so, yeah. And so when, when you connect to that knowing, it's very clear what battles to say no to. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. the battles that you do say yes to, like, it's almost always when I, so now that I know what battles to pick, the battle that I am in, I always have two options the courageous thing yeah or the easy thing in almost every situation and the more you can choose in the battles that you know are your battles where you act courageously instead of what's easy mm -hmm. i feel like you just get closer to that thing and you know yeah. there's that quote by rumi it's like take one step towards god and god will cross the universe to meet you Ooh. you know and it's that feeling that like for people who feel like they're completely disconnected from what we're talking about, I think that first choice, which is the hardest choice, is the most powerful choice. And it's like, you have an option right now, like you listening, you know that if you ask yourself, what is the one thing I should do right now? It's probably to pause this podcast and go do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and yeah. you could choose that right now. And I think that that first step is that God moment where like, God hears you and it's like, oh shit, mm -hmm. you know? And really what I think is that on some level, God is that energy inside of you that knows what you're meant to be, just like the seed knows it's meant to be an oak tree. Like, yeah. But if you, put, if, if you put a conscious mind on top of that seed, it might wanna be a fucking maple tree. Oh yeah. It might wanna be a flower or a cow and it just fucking gets all like, yeah. you know? 
for yeah man our our neuron density our our frontal lobe is absolutely a pandora's box because it gives you such open-ended potential that the ability that it gives you to think about the future and the past is everything the fact that we're able to think forward allows us to share information it allows us to plan it allows us to do everything we need to do to succeed it also allows us to just ruminate ourselves into the fucking grave. You know, yeah. it allows us to fucking just spend all of our time in imaginary, you know, made up worlds that, you know, and and it's like, I can't even imagine like if there's some evolution of humanity or whatever humanity becomes a million years from now and it has yet another dimension and like another another lobe added on to the right. brain like a brain that allows it to interact with time or something like it could just go back to the time it got the best hand job over <laughs> and over it could just be like hand job hand you know just yeah. like it could do that yeah. it could do that and man think on about some level that's what some people right. are doing yeah they're they're trying to live in a in a constant like you know hedonism state of like seeking physical pleasure and there is there i don't know a lot i'm not an expert but what i do know for sure is that if you live your life in search of physical expression physical you know pleasure you'll be the most you know like there's a great example that i've heard sam harris give where it's like gross because we've all thought this way countless times and it's that internal dialogue you have where you go outside and oh it's a little cold I, I think i need a i think i need a sweatshirt oh no i'm a little bit hot but okay i'll maybe i'll just take off the sweatshirt and go underneath like the shade and then like mm, that's not quite right either i'm kind of thirsty you know it's like that's that's what you're dealing with if you go down that path of like physical comfort if you're in that dimension of ruminating about like how you like right what's wrong I, like what you're saying. this minor discomfort i have it's like that's reality that is like dukkha in real time you know that is like the innate dissatisfaction of being an incarnated human in real time if that's the value yeah. you put at the top of your pyramid right. you're forfeiting a huge amount of what you're capable of doing mm -hmm. yeah it's like the opposite of flow it's the opposite of feeling you know that stir that sense of like timelessness that that sense of unity all it's of fucked yeah, instead it, of flow it's fucked yeah it's like stumbling yeah. instead of flow it's just like oh it's like it's just like a bumpy road of right. the mind you know it's like a bumpy psychic road and there's so many people on that bumpy psychic road because they're like well, well now i need coffee well now now i need now i'm too jittery well oh, right. it's midday the coffee's it's, not really working you know it's just like it's that's that's a dimension that so many people are just stuck in right. i mean we we all are you and no, me sure. and everybody get stuck in that on a daily basis. But man, if you get no respite from that, fuck, that's bad. My favorite part of my day is the three or four hours I have in the morning that I kind of have ritualized where it's like, no matter how I feel, mm -hmm. no matter what's going on, I'm happy to say no to things the night before that I want to do because this is my time to meditate, to read, and to write and to do the things that I truly believe are the most important tasks that I need to do in my life for yeah. that day. And, you know, I treat like I used to be an athlete and I started having problems with my back, but that mentality is, is in me now. And I use it towards my creative work where it's, um, I love 
that it's not comfortable some days. I love to say no to things that I know a part of me wants to do, to say yes to this thing. And it is this island in the day that if yeah. I get those three or four hours, the rest of the day can be fucking yeah. chaos. Yeah. The rest of the day I can be completely in that, huh, oh, I should do this, oh, I want this. And, blah, blah, blah. and then days that I don't do it because I'm like in the wave of being with a lover or something, it doesn't matter how good it is, a part of me is like, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. There's a part in the, that's that's that knowing that you were talking about where there's a part of you that knows what it should be doing. It's it's like your conscience, whatever you want to call it, your higher self being like, remember that the main point is not that. Remember that right. the main point is not this. Right. It's it's that time, It's and that's like a great example of it, of what personal synthesis looks like to you. Like what that moment of where all of the struggles like come together and harmonize is that time in the morning when you're, you know, exactly where you've, you've struggled to set that time up in your day. Mm -hmm. You've struggled to get in that pocket, that ritualistic pocket or that bubble. And that's like your, you know, your, your fortress of solitude. Mm -hmm. And every, that's like a very important thing to develop. And, and meditation's absolutely once, do, let me ask you this. Do you, do you find meditation hard? You find it not, not pleasurable. Anymore. So because I've had it, people be like, "Oh, meditation is like it's brutal," and I'm like, "What? Like I don't I don't understand it that." It really depends on what people's perspective is and what they think they should be doing. So when I thought I had to sit, how I saw it on movies, it sucked because I was always uncomfortable. Like my back would hurt, and then the moment I and then the moment I heard it was okay to sit in a chair with a straight spine. That was all gone. And then when, when I thought that I needed to be in a specific deep state, I didn't like doing it. But then once I recognized the point of this is just to witness whatever it is that is happening without my choosing it happening. And I do Vipassana. And so whenever mm -hmm. I find that I'm lost in one of the things that my mind is just yeah. doing, it's like, I bring it back. Yep. And dude, okay. So when I first started to meditate, I was like, um, I can go like 10 seconds and not have a thought. And when I hear people talk about that, it's like, oh, motherfucker, you need to sit a little bit longer. Because like, I've been sitting every day for um, probably about two years now. Mm -hmm. I can't go more than two seconds without having a thought. Like, unless I'm on drugs. And it's like, the more you do it, the more sensitive you get yeah, to right. like, this thing yeah. is fucking insane. Well, and it is just It's constantly. like what we were talking about before, like the, the canvas of awareness, right? Mm -hmm. If you're 10,000 feet, it looks pretty white down there on that Interesting, canvas. yeah. When you're 100 feet, mm -hmm. oh, look at all those little specks down there. Interesting, look at yeah. all those little like pollute thoughts, thought pollution right. on my canvas, you know? And as you calibrate that mindfulness instrument, you get way better at noticing them creep up and pop in and out real quick. For sure, yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and so I just read a book um, a couple of weeks ago by Shinzen Young, and it's called The Science of Enlightenment. And so 
once you sit for a while in the in the vipassana tradition, mm -hmm. they slowly start to introduce what's called noting. You know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I loved the concept of noting, which is basically when you find that you have been brought away from your object of focus, you gently note what it is that took you away, and then you bring it back to the object of focus. But I didn't quite know how to do it. Like I was always like that was a past thought, that was a future thing. I, I didn't quite know how to do it. And then I read this book by Shinzen Young, and he's a mathematician that really got into, uh, into meditation. So he's got this really strong analytical mind that he brings to it. And he laid it out so clearly, and I wanna hear what you think about this. Yeah. But basically like he gives the periodic table of possible phenomena that you can experience. And it's so fucking elegant. You either have a mental thought, you experience a mental image, you experience a body sensation, or you experience a body emotion. And all body emotions, if you look at them with clarity and awareness and equanimity is what he calls it, it's always a body sensation. So there's really just three possible things. As long as you're not doing a behavior, like, cause once you start moving, that's a new thing. But if you're sitting and you're meditating, it can only be three things either a thought or an image or a body sensation. And almost all of us coagulate all three together. And once I got that, it's so easy for me to meditate. Mm -hmm. I'm excited mm -hmm. to, to begin to like hunt. So yeah. like, I don't get to choose what happens, but the moment that I recognize that I've been brought away, I'll try to put like a flag, I'll just be like, thought and image i find at least at my level of awareness mm -hmm. i'm so disconnected from my body mm -hmm. that i almost never perceive a body sensation it's yeah. almost always oh, really? a thought or an image yeah i almost like and i know that i have a relationship with my body where i'm kind of disconnected mm. and so i'm trying to cultivate that but um since i found that it just it's it's made meditation fucking fun yeah, I mean, that's super interesting. And then if I were gonna take a devil's advocate position though, is it sort of like gamifies your your practice though. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because like sure. now now you're like looking for concepts. Mm -hmm. Like and again, it's like I mean, I'm sure that this per uh Shinzen Young, I'm sure he's like a trillion times more experienced than I am. But the reason for me. I'm perplexed by people saying meditation's hard, meditation's brutal, is because for me, it's only hard and brutal when I start trying to like turn it into something. When I'm just, when I'm literally like, I'm in a bubble right now where I'm not trying anything other than I'm watching my breath. I know I will get lost in thought. I'll notice that I'm lost in thought and then I'll go back and mm -hmm. that's it. I'll just do that for the yeah. duration of the time. And it's not wrong to get lost in thought. Mm -hmm. It's just going to happen. And when, but if I, but if I were thinking to myself, getting lost in thought is bad. Exactly. Then it would turn into like, a, what's fucking wrong with me? I can't, you know, like. And you're lost in thought. Yeah, yeah. And so I wonder if this practice of category, because it's almost kind of funny to try to get analytical with meditation, mm -hmm. because in a lot of ways, it's the opposite of doing no, maybe, I, maybe it's not because it, it it is all about witnessing. It is all about you know being mindful mm -hmm. of what your body's feeling like, what your mind is doing, what sensations are coming right. in and out of your canvas of awareness. So 
it is about noticing, but I don't know if it's about categorizing. Right. You know? So, and I think that that's a great um, distinction. And the truth of my experience is that five out of six days, I don't do that because it feels like it's too much work. Five out of six days, I'm I'm just being. But here's how he kind of lays it out. And of course, this master's work is being filtered through my understanding of what I read, and I want it to be gamified. So that is a part that I really was attracted to. Right, but, and that's why struggle is so potent because we want we want to like right. you, you know, but that yes. let's not let's not shift there yet. Okay. Um. <clears throat> so. Stage one, if you will, because I'm going to gamify everything. Stage one is you're witnessing for years just so you can hone focus. And then once you've honed focus, the way he sees it is now it's time you start digesting. And so what he means by that is after focus, you cultivate clarity. Mm -hmm. And clarity is once you've noticed that your mind is basically acting up, like he's one of the people that claim you can get to a point where you can control your thoughts, but it's going to be, no, you can't control your thoughts, but you can get to a point where you can be in control of your reaction oh, sure, to your sure. thoughts yeah. at, at all times. And, and he calls that enlightenment and, and he breaks this down so much more better than I am. But so once you've cultivated focus, the next thing is to cultivate clarity. And clarity is basically your ability to, with awareness, to digest whatever arises in you that you have um, any resistance towards. Mm -hmm. And so the way that he offers that you practice that is to begin to identify what the thing is that is arising so that when you inevitably experience pain, which is coming for all of us, pain yeah. is coming for all yeah. of us, that when the pain arises, you can use the clarity to really cut into the experience of pain and what I find, you know, and I'm going to knock on wood because I fucking had terrible back pain a couple of like probably about a week ago that really like, mm. it's like, fuck, I, I learned this stuff and now I have to practice it. You know, I have, yeah. I have to preach or I have to sow the seeds that I've been preaching. But there is, with the clarity, you can cut through an experience like pain by asking yourself, okay, what is it that I'm actually experiencing? Right. I'm experiencing a, a dull pulsing in my back and then I'm witnessing a story that I'm telling myself mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's feeding an image of the time that I was bedridden for five days. Yeah. And then like once that's kind of cut into, the story almost always just evaporates once you really look at it clearly. Because it's just, there's a part of you that just know, oh, that doesn't help. And just... Yeah, it'll come back mm -hmm. the moment you kind of lose your focus. But mm -hmm. in that moment, all that now is true is that dull yeah. ache, yeah. which actually isn't that bad. Really what was fucking with me was my unconscious storytelling of, oh, I'm not ever gonna be an athlete again. I'm yeah. gonna be weak. Women won't be attracted to me. Like this whole thing that mm -hmm. comes from mm -hmm. an old image. <clears throat> and so the clarity he sees is kind of like awareness digesting karma. Yeah, that's really interesting. And what's even, man, I think another element, like, and, and I'm a trillion light years away from this too, is I think an enlightened person would be able to confront that worst case scenario, that 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 like doom fantasy you're telling yourself mm -hmm. and be like, yeah, that will happen. That's okay. 
and have no reaction mm -hmm. to it, yeah. you know? Because all of those demons inside of us, like telling us the worst stories, like sitting on our shoulder and whispering like, you're frail, you're breaking down, you're aging, you're gonna, mm -hmm. you're never, you're gonna, you're never gonna get a boner again. All Like all of these things, mm -hmm. it's like, you know what? That's gonna happen actually. Might not be tomorrow, might not be 10 years from now, might not be 30 years from now, right. but it's gonna happen. And if you can actually zoom into that, just like you zoomed into your back pain, and you can just like really stare that in the face and just be like, yeah, you're, you're coming for me, I know, I know. You know, and that that's that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. But I think if we're even trying to do that, we're probably making progress that very few people are making because they're so terrified of that potential. Yeah. They're they're s smashing every good tasting thing and <laughs> you know Instagram model butt and just like everything to keep their mind off of that that incoming doom wall. Yeah. And it's going to really hurt when it smacks, dude. It's I mean, it's never going to feel good when it smacks, but if you've at least turned around and looked at it and developed your awareness that that's out there, yeah. and that it's it's coming mm. and you've you've worked on trying to synthesize that and contextualize that for yourself, it's very powerful. It's very powerful and I think it's one of the primary fuel sources that powers what you were talking about earlier, you know, like the evolution of the god self, like the path of the the oak tree that you were talking about before. It requires the doom propulsion to right. grow. It that's requires literally the, the doom thought propulsion. That's the I was having. And because if you don't know, like if if you don't believe that that's coming, you can stay in this ruminatory lie of everything's always going to be just like it is right now. And it's not. It's just not. And if if we operate under that assumption, we're going to keep. No, I'll get to the goal tomorrow. I'll get to the goal tomorrow. I'll get to the. We'll, we'll right. keep playing that game, and that's that's dangerous. So it's interesting. So there's a couple of things that are going on here that I can't seem to um, tease apart. But one is that the complete equanimity feels like it needs to be connected to the illusion of the myth of the God self, of the ideal self. Because complete equanimity, at least from my biased small perspective is complete equanimity would translate to you not striving to become the person that you know you could be yeah yeah but i do feel like at least this is what it feels like in me i willingly choose the myth every day mm -hmm. of the ideal self because i genuinely feel like it pulls me, not propels me, but pulls me towards a way of being that acts in a way that reduces the suffering of others. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that makes my ego feel good. And, and I own that. And I use the tool of equanimity when I hit hitches that I feel like I need to use the equanimity to sit in. Yeah, And then I put the equanimity down again and then i accept the lie of the illusion of the myth of the ideal self yeah to continue to become something like it's it's this idea that and this is completely grandiose but this is my truth so fuck it um a part of me really contemplated like when i was like 19 or 20 peak ego 
mm-hmm. inflation mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Like I could go off and be alone and fucking like do this thing where I'm just like, oh, you know, <laughs> and not helping anyone. Yeah. And, or I could choose to willingly, not really suffer, but to strive and to struggle to be a type of thing that could help the greatest number of people possible suffer a little bit less and then die. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it feels like I chose to play the lie because it would help more. But I know that there are people that kind of make the argument that, no, that person that goes off and really gets their shit clear Mm -hmm. actually has a non-local effect on the collective. Oh yeah, like the Maharishi effect? Yeah, but that That, does not resonate with me. And it's probably because it doesn't resonate with my ego. And my ego is like, no. And I think that the, I think I Ryan Holiday. I do not think the ego is the enemy. Like I think that that's the wrong way to think about the ego. And I think people suffer when they think the ego is just bad. I think yeah. the ego is a. Ne- I see it as like a wolf, and if you feed it and you train it, it will hunt with you, mm-hmm. and you can bring food back to the people you love. If you fucking beat it and you starve it, it will fucking maul you and your loved ones. Yeah. But you have the wolf and it's there. Yeah. Or you can just feed it McDonald's and it'll be like that fat Labrador mm. retriever. You see, like, what the fuck, man? Walk There's that, always a synthesis. Walk that dog. Put it on like a ketogenic diet or some shit. And, you know, that what I really think what you're talking about too is like another really interesting dialectic because we've talked about this before the weird East West dichotomy mm. is it's like, what, which game are you playing? Are you playing the game? of the individual that needs to transcend or are you playing the game where the individual is an illusion and if the individual is an illusion you do need to go off by yourself and break down that illusion and transcend that illusion there's no there's no way you can work on yourself and nullify yourself to that level when you're running around playing societal games I I don't think you can but again I think just like any good uh, dichotomy or dialectic there's some there's a synthesis there there's a way to like grab wisdom from both ends and mm-hmm. like smash them together. For sure. And for me, the imagery that's coming to mind is like, if not just your life, but you're clearly existing in a much, much larger ecosystem. And you can think of your very finite existence like fruit on a tree, right? You want to ripen, you want to, maximize your juiciness you want to be able to impart nutrition and do your job as that piece of fruit to the best of your ability if you're lying to yourself and you think that your piece of fruit is like the whole story and it's not connected to a tree that's not connected to a forest that's not connected to an ecosystem that's not etc 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 then you're playing a delusional game of individualism and i think that that's the danger of the of the western wisdom And there's an equal danger to the Eastern wisdom where you just neglect all of your individual uh, potential and just like, you know, try to never be a piece of fruit or something, you know, shrivel. And it's like, I I think it's very, I think, you know, you and I love to go way down these rabbit holes and these like, you know, deep potentials, but like to, to just make it very, very practical, very, very practical. If you start thinking about your existence in terms of like, achievable 
like what, whatever you think the most important, like you said, wh whatever your maximum potential is, do a very simple exercise. Sit down and write a page of what your maximum potential might look like. It's, it sounds ridiculously simple, but 99% of the people listening haven't done it. And I guarantee you it's going to shock and, and be ruthlessly honest. If, if making a million dollars, $10 million is part of it, don't fucking feel bad for writing that down on the piece of paper. Right. You know, like whatever it is, like decide what, what the game is, decide what the ultimate game is for you as an individual. And, you know, don't be a dick, like to <laughs> make it be a game that's going to be good for other people. If it's going to benefit you, it should also benefit other people. And I think that's all right, man. I yeah. think that's all right. Make that piece of paper your religion. You know, try that exercise. I think that'd be an interesting exercise. Like my religion, like my myth goes down on this piece of paper. Everybody sure. should probably do that like periodically. Because I'm sure if you did it today and five years from now, you came back and looked at it, you'd be like, this is right, editing. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> but, And that's fine. You know, that's fine, man. Everybody mm. needs like a personal Torah or a personal <laughs> fucking. I think, oh yeah. When you connect to what your potential is, it tells you your religion. And your religion are like, these are the things that I do. These are the things that that thing does. These are the things that that thing abstains from or doesn't do. These are the ritualistic things that I do every once in a while that like, the way that I feel about it is I can feel what my potential self is. Mm -hmm. And when I find a habit that feels like it's in coherence with that thing, yeah. it feels like a fundamental like limb mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. it has attached to me. Yeah. And it's like, I have to work this limb out, but this is yep. one of my fucking, like, this is one of the pieces, man. And there's this, um, I don't even know what the right word is, but there's this like, okay, when I think about me having life after death, I feel this feeling that feels akin to a mother or a grandmother saying like, oh, you poor child. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This feeling is the opposite of that. Almost like a grandfather being like, I, I never had this mapped in my life, so I don't even know what the affirmation would be, but it would be like a grandfather being like, that's it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, it it's, just, yeah. Yeah. It's like the, yeah, I love that like Senex archetype that, you know, this sort of wise, but rough giver of wisdom. And, right. and, and, you know, also paradoxically and, you know, the sort of Jungian sense, it's like in a weird way, sometimes a Senex is also kind of like a threshold guardian where it's like, you need, there's always has to be that part in the myth where it's like, there's nothing more I can teach you. You know, that that moment, like, mm. now it's time to go off on your own. There's nothing more I can teach you. Wow. And it's like, you got the fucking minimum to get through the next step without dying. And it's like, the, the struggle's not over hmm. once, you know, once the the wise man gives you the pat on the back. Wow. It's yeah. like, it's like they, what you're, you- You're fucking me up right now. Like, <laughs> but it's like you, you like meeting, meeting that archetype, I think in the life of every individual, is sort of like contacting part of your own psyche that allows you to engage in the possibility of becoming better than what you were. Like, you know, everybody has stories about I could be better, but there's a there's a point where you you make the turn into actually making yourself better, like a process starts to unfold. 
And then you think you've arrived. You know, you think like, I go to the gym now. I meditate now. I'm working on the projects that matter to me now. And that's the moment the old man kind of pats you on the back. You know, that's the moment the old man's kind of like, I got nothing else to teach you. Have fun out there, kid. Right. And you have and just like, enough come, to not. And, and wow. yeah. And the, the jaws of doom are still coming. Like you still need to pay your rent. All the other things are still there. Yeah. And it's like, that's, hmm. you know, it's like, it's kind of like, that's the training mode. That's like the training mode of the game. And some people never even get past the training mode. I don't know if I'm even out of the training mode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to digest on that because what I feel happening in me from you sharing that story is like what I genuinely felt was a thing beyond the finish line. Like my ideal self is beyond the finish line. It's something not possible. Yeah, for sure. What yeah. if it is just the end of the first level, you know, and it's hard for me to convey, but it's like a feeling of like, I thought I was seen outside of the window on the opposite end of a huge building and there was this like star. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh shit, that's on the back of a room and there's mm -hmm. a door behind it. Mm -hmm. Fuck, man. Yeah, this is this is another thing that comes out of Pandora's the Pandora's box of our like neurology and our psyche is the ability to conceive of things so cosmically disproportionately massive to our tininess to, to our ability to our little you know booger of a life that just flip, flick the booger of your life into the cosmos it doesn't fucking matter in the grand scheme of things and we actually have the ability to just see and sort of conceive of how microscopic our existence is yet we're the pinnacle like we're you know i love i just love that paradox of us being the pinnacle of sentience on this right. planet and in the known universe, but also just so nothing, just so nothing. There's this you know? quote, and I forget who it's by, but it's it's something along the lines of, you are simultaneously a speck of mm -hmm. dust and also the center of the universe. Yeah. And yeah. that I think it's experientially, it's experientially the fact yeah. that you are the center of the universe. And it's analytically a fact that you are a speck of dust and nothing yeah man let's let's try to synthesize this because this this is an interesting struggle this is an interesting dialectic here is how to find a synthesis between our significance and our insignificance that is a massive massive riddle to try to unpack you know and and it's very easy to do if you want to start getting metaphysical if you want to say i'm an immortal soul this life is like this is a husk man i can I'm gonna transcend this body. I'm gonna be reincarnated. And that doesn't resonate with me. I mean, I you know, I'm you know me, I'm what I've been calling progressively agnostic lately, where I'm not gonna pretend I know. I you and I have both had experiences on psychedelics that heavily, heavily indicate that we're part of a much larger, much more complicated, much more interconnected cosmos than we can normally comprehend. But it's very tempting to then editorialize a lot of those experiences and start saying like, what I witnessed is absolutely, like, does it feel real? Yes, do I think, am I more in the direction of that is revealing something true? Or am I more in the direction of that's revealing like delusional, weird imagery, 
in my psyche because parts of my brain are communicating that don't normally interact. I'm more toward the edge of like, I think I'm glimpsing at something real. I think I'm glimpsing kind of off the edge of the like human chasm. Right. You know, I'm like, I'm looking at the wall of like, this is the ocean out here. This is consciousness. I'm connected to this like mycelial winding fractally road that never ends. I, I feel like that's the case, but do I know that? I don't know that. I don't know that. I know that that's what it seems like and what things seem like can get you into a lot of trouble when you start editorializing too much. So that's a difficult synthesis, man. But that is one that I think everybody needs to confront is to, to feel any modicum of understanding, you know, or, or to come to any modicum of peace yeah. w within this very finite window of time experience yeah. expression that we have. The synthesis that I've made for myself simply to keep myself from <laughs> falling into a pit on my couch yeah. is um, here's, I, I can okay. The image that I have is that um, I'm on a beach and I'm making a sandcastle and yeah, yeah. there is a wave coming and I know the wave is coming and I know that the wave is going to kill everyone on the beach and wipe out every sandcastle. There are 7 billion people on the beach building sandcastles. There are people who know the wave are coming and just choose not to build a sandcastle. There are people who are so desperately trying to build the perfect sandcastle and they won't look at the tide coming in. I think that you know the wave is coming and you know that whatever you do, eventually it will all be forgotten. But how you build the sandcastle can tremendously reduce the anxiety and the suffering for all the people who see you making the sandcastle. And the sandcastle you make can inspire other people. Yeah. The sandcastle you make can show people like the it's like the art of creating the sandcastle knowing it's going to be gone. And to earnestly try to make the most amazing fucking sandcastle while also periodically turning back knowing the wave is coming and when the wave comes grab the hand of the person you love. Fuck yeah, man. You know. Yeah. I mean, the alternative is nihilism. The al the alternative is just being a depressed, you know, you know, eyeliner wearing piece of shit. You know, just like <laughs> like an anti, you know, like anti natalist people who like don't believe that it's worth living at all. Like, ch pick a direction. Like, is is the art not worth doing? Is the is the game of life not worth playing because it's not infinite? You know, it's like it's it, sometimes. And I've had, and this was the 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 heavy, heavy message of my most recent psilocybin experience that we talked about on last time I was on the show is just like the point of it is to live. The point of it is to live. The point of it is to help other people live and be happy and flourish and spread living and happiness and flourishing and warmth as far as you can. Like you, you got to this point. You're on, you know. If life is a vine growing off earth, you're like a flower on the tip of the vine and you became self-aware and you're you're sitting there like, why? It's like, <laughs> fuck you. The whole, the why is everything underneath you. Everything underneath you got you to that point. Yeah. And now you're gonna like look back on the whole process and be like mad about it. You know, it's like, those are basically like, either be happy that you got to sprout or, you know, 
go the nihilistic route, I guess. But it's like I would rather go the optimistic route because why would you not? Why would you yeah. not go the optimistic route? Like play the hand you're dealt and play it to the best of your ability. And if you know, that's all you can do. And I think the thing to connect to is people who are nihilistic. I naively believe that I'm going to categorize all of them like an asshole, but that there's a fundamental either missing of a specific experience or a tainting of an experience where like if you have a moment where you look into someone else's eyes and you can see that you've done something that either brought them bliss or removed suffering from them and you felt what that feels like like that is the justification to all philosophy you know that felt experience of being a force in someone else's life that genuinely brings it bliss or reduces its mm -hmm. suffering. Mm -hmm. And once you taste that for the first time, it's like, oh my God, this is it. Philosophy is answered. Now let's like, how can I do this more? Right. How can I become someone that maximizes this thing that can happen? Because like for, at least in my experience, I was nihilistic because I didn't know how to love because I was stuck in my own wounds. Mm -hmm. And I think most of our shit comes down. This is such a fucking uh, reduction. It's, it's a thousand things. But one of the ways to break it all down is, are you courageous enough to be vulnerable enough to be someone that, can feel that deeply and can help other people feel that deeply. And if you can, then the answer to philosophy is to dance, you know? And like yeah. Nietzsche has that quote, um, a day without dancing is a day wasted. And he also mm -hmm. has that quote that a lot of angsty teenagers love to post. And it's, uh, um, those who can't hear the music think those who dance are crazy. And mm -hmm. it's basically mm -hmm. an excuse mm -hmm. to act like an ass, but, I do think that it's really getting down to the heart. And that's why Nietzsche is one of my favorite philosophers because he's got this dichotomy where when he's in his mania, it's fucking dance. Yeah. And then when he's sick, like he had a lot of fucking health problems. Yeah, he died of syphilis, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, he went, and he went nutty toward the end. Yeah. yeah. And so he would like, he would take these mountain walks and he would get euphoric and it was just, he would fucking just light you the fuck up with what he was saying. And then he would get sick and then he would just destroy humanity with like his yeah. intellect. And I'm just having this thought now, but that's almost the perfect dichotomy mm -hmm. of like mm -hmm. what the mind does when the mind's in pain, it's let's fucking deconstruct and not deconstruct from like a clinical standpoint, but from like, fuck this. Yeah, I'm in pain, fuck you. Mm -hmm. Like fuck you to the universe. Mm -hmm. And then when he's on top of a mountain and it's 2 PM and he's in the Alps, it's like, dance, mm -hmm. make art, make this thing the most, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully we don't all go down in a in a syphilis fit calling ourselves <laughs> the Antichrist or, or whatever the fuck right. like he did or calling ourselves Dionysus, which he also did. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're all certainly gonna experience those peaks and valleys. And yeah, dude, I love what you said about 
the point of philosophy is like see like alleviating the existential ball and chain for a minute you know unfortunately a lot of academic philosophy is like masturbatory logic contortions you know like if anybody out there has taken like a sentential logic it's, class it's word math it, it's word math it's absolutely it, it's it's crazy it's it's kind of fun to solve but i mean and, and it's kind of teaching you something about how to reason well but yeah that's not what it's like the difference between theoretical science and applied science where it's like i want this thing to work right i don't you know like if the math doesn't get it to work like the math can go suck a dick right and there's a, then there are just some theor theoreticians who you know that i i am in awe of what they do because i don't have a clue but it's like the, no we're not trying to make anything work we're just trying to like make the numbers do a thing you know right. and that's really cool but i mean it's it's the I'm definitely much more interested in the applied, the application of philosophy as well. Sure. Like I have taken a sentential logic class and it almost killed me. Same. Like, like I love philosophy. Just, yeah. Like when yeah. I read philosophy books on my own, loved it. Yeah. Took a philosophy class. I was like, this sucks. Yeah. This is sterile as fuck because yeah. I was reading like Nietzsche and I was like, there's so much blood in yeah. there. Yeah. And then I went to class and I was like, this is a fucking cadaver. Again, I think it's contextualization because I think if I was going to like Plato's Academy. Oh my God. And you know, like, you know what it says over the, over the door of Plato's what? Academy? It says, let none ignorant of geometry enter here. So it's like, there's the recognition of like that wow. understanding, that analytical understanding of the laws behind shit is important. Like you need to understand that. But then another like, hegelian dialectic synthesis thing is like you need to understand that but then you also need to be willing to walk the plank that goes over the top of mystery and then use the the sharpened razor of your intellect that you you know you've put it through the rigors you've trained it with you know math and you've trained it with logic and now you go out into the mystery and you use that blade to try to describe it you know right. and, and i think if i was taught it under that kind of a pretense right. or like uh, like in some third, like, like we are training before yeah, an adventure yeah right like it, like if, if i was being equipped like in some pythagorean mystic school like you need to learn this math before you can you know do this meditation and learn this secret of harmony and go For through sure. this initiation then i'd be like this sounds pretty dope if like, the beginning yeah, of math class yeah. was learn this and then we take you into a cave and give you yeah. a very special drink that only yeah. the most badass motherfuckers yeah. in our culture have drank yeah. who have gone on to produce the most amazing right. art i would show up every day For on sure, fire man. yeah i know you know but like yeah most of the stuff most of the math that we were taught like I was so into, I wanted to engage with the teacher like they were a person. Mm -hmm. And really, mm -hmm. the asshole in me as a student was like, I want to debate you in front of the class about why we should do this. Mm -hmm. And the teachers who could, I was all in. And the teachers who couldn't hated me. Yeah. And um, not that the teachers who couldn't, but the teachers who didn't want to put up with a fucking asshole mm -hmm. kid trying to fucking make a point it's, because he didn't want to read. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me in like if, in any good um, like Game of Thrones or any good fantasy. A lot of times there will be that um, the or, or even like uh, in dojos too. Like the idea of you don't get to leave this dojo unless you're the fucking best. And any student at any moment can walk up mm, there, and if they right, beat right, you, right, they're right. the leader now. Right. 
And that's kind of like there, there is that weird. I think there's Animalistic that weird primal thing, yeah. part of us that thinks that that's how a classroom should be run. Yeah. But also, you're just being like a squirrel. I was little being dick an asshole for sure. Because sure. yeah. yeah. a part of me was like, can I get the whole class to unfold in a way where they don't teach? Like it, it, it was like a, the part of me, but like the teachers who could combat with me in a fun way, like they would go on to say that I was one of their favorite students because mm -hmm. I, I would really mm -hmm. engage the class, but I feel like I'm fucking blown up my own ego here. But it's, it's getting to the point, what, what I'm trying to say is that math was taught to me in a way that uh, I could never connect to like the practicality of it. Yeah, And so I just stopped learning it. And the thing is, is like, I know I have a logical mind that's capable of knowing math. And like, I'm abysmal at it. You know, I, yeah, me too. And it's something that I know that I could fix if, like, I hired a tutor and I did a lot of mushrooms and I really like. And a part of me kind of wants to, you know, like <laughs> yeah, I want to get right. to the point where I had the free time where I could get a math tutor to come teach me like the basics of math and really yeah. like blow my mind back up to where I know that it could be. But yeah, Plato, that would be dope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that it really seems like the more I read about the ancient Greeks, I'm I'm just more and more floored. Like, I really think that they were, you know, it's unfortunate that they didn't have the technological prowess that we have now, but it really seems like they had some of the best synthesis of theory and like living, where it wasn't just, you know, like sit there and get into this because right now i mean knowledge is all extremely uh nichified and it's mm -hmm. extremely compartmentalized where you know if if you go to school for i don't know you're, you're gonna like drill down into one very specific piece of knowledge and become yeah. an expert at that piece of knowledge and they i feel like had the best example of well-formed people you know the idea i mean the socratic idea was develop the individual get them to come intact get them to come into contact with their innate knowledge to the point where like you just created a sage like you created a sage and that sage will go out there and wake people up to their to their sageliness you know and that's not what school's doing now. Yeah. Like that is not even close to what school's doing now. If it were, I'd be in school for the rest of my fucking life and I would love it, you know? Yeah. But we've fallen so far from that, like that traditional idea of education and, you know, Plato's Academy and the trivium and the quadrivium and all yeah. of these things. A beautiful thing that I am seeing, man, is um, with the internet, I feel like we're we're just beginning to birth out of the really awkward adolescent years mm -hmm. where like things are really emotional and tumultuous. But I really feel that there's a new type of university organically coming. Yeah, there is, yeah. And like, okay, if not you, who? If not now, when? A part of you is fascinated by that idea of the symposium. You're doing it. And you can become better to be someone who's worthy of being a teacher at the symposium. And we can do it now. Like, I think that um, kind of the curse of talented artistic people is they're like, oh, no, can't be me. Yeah. You know? And then I think that's when, like, Joseph Campbell comes in and be like, 
It's you, bitch. Yeah, it has to be you. It's you, bitch. Yeah. It has to be you, but I don't have to be the math teacher. <laughs> I can be yeah. the bard. Yes. I can be the wonder bard who's, you know, you know, stokes the curiosity and you know, hopefully nudges people toward, you know, taking the perceived leap into the abyss that becomes the feather bed. Like I think that that might maybe that's your role, maybe that's my role, and that's good. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's enough, dude. Mm. Like that, that's enough. And I mean, I even feel like, semi, who are you to say that that's your role? You know, it's and, that, and sure, that's man. that that's that swing back of like yeah. the 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 per, the resistance that arises in you when you dare to proclaim that you're a thing. Exactly. You know. Exactly. You know. And there's not. I mean. It depends where it's coming from. If it is coming from like a self-congratulatory, you're not doing the work, you don't deserve to say it. You don't deserve to say that. But if it's coming from the right place and you've walked the walk and you've made as many podcasts as you've made and as many blog posts as you've made, you're fucking living it, you know? You're you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and a beautiful thing, man, is if you can alter your perspective a little bit that voice in your head if you look at any great myth the the only person that really understands the hero is the antagonist like hmm. like on some level the closest friend and and the most easy example is batman and joker batman's best friend is not alfred it's not robin it's not the woman he's in love with it's the joker and that the thing that makes that brings Batman to his pinnacle is the Joker. Yeah. Your inner Smeagol is the thing that is your closest friend and the thing that propels you the most to like become what you could be if you choose to engage it. You know, and it's like any fighter. The, their most intimate human partner it's not their wife it's not their kid it's it's that person that yeah. they're obsessing about being ready for mm -hmm. for months yeah and then they show up and then they have that moment that like defines that's it that's the word that you took right out of my head because it's like that is the other end of the spectrum that is the other end of the dialectic from batman batman is in black batman is about order He's about ethical precepts. Joker is has white face paint on. He, he bright colors. You know, he's about chaos. He's about destruction. He's about not respecting the rules. So it's like he defines what Batman is. He defines like his right. relevancy. He right. contextualizes his relevancy by being the opposite. And yeah, that, that I think that's where the wisdom of dualism comes in because everybody, you know, like it's a big buzzword to be like, I'm non-dual. I'm a non-dual, you know, it's like, and then everybody loves to explain, oh, you know, you don't get what that means, do you? Well, here's what it means, you know, and then everybody likes to pontificate about how there is no separation, how everything is one. And yes, yes, but the human intellect thrives off of that kind of thinking and the human intellect needs that to categorize life and it needs that to make sense of things and systematize things and make right. things work and test things and you know, it's it's not all of knowledge, but it's a vital, vital sort of knowledge sure. that we need. And the fucking truth for anyone, and anyone who is listening, who has really taste non-dual consciousness, I think they know when you're really there, you don't speak. 
You don't move. You're to speak, I think, is to be in duality. And yeah, so like yeah, great point. I love uh like I love to banter with my friends and especially with like new people that I can feel are smart. And I just and like one of my favorite things is like if that type of thing came up, I would, you know, fucking start to like play, you know? And like one of the things is um like in order to perceive anything, like in order to have any experience whatsoever, you have to be in your duality. Because in order for your nervous system to perceive any object or to think any thought, yeah. it it must have a boundary. In order for it to have a boundary, it has a thing that it isn't, you know? Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and at least for me, when I've been in a non-dual state, like I, I'm not perceiving. So there is no talking, there is no moving, there is no acting. I think flow state is not the same as non-dual because if you're on a bike, going down a mountain at 40 miles an hour, you're not in a non-dual place. I, I think if you say that, you're just using words incorrectly mm -hmm. in a way that confuses mm -hmm. people. You for sure are in a flow state, but if you were in a non-dual state, yeah. you would smash into a tree. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, I think it's as, I think it's as close to the edge as you can get while still being in duality yeah, for sure yeah i think it's sure. on the edge and i think that's yeah. that that's like and i mean i mean surfing is like it's the perfect metaphor it, it really never is, surfed. it is the perfect <laughs> metaphor and it's almost like cheesy but it's like it's so perfect because water is so stochastic and it requires so much constant correction and like micro posture shifts to not go into that like multi-ton wall of like uncaring seawater that you're in the tube of you know it's like it's just it's yeah, like man. You, you need to be right there right there on the edge of what you're capable of and there just is no better metaphor than it than that despite how cheesy it's become at this point point. and i do think that the at least i i really think that the answer to the problems of the mind is for sure learn how to use your mind enough to to conform enough order around you where your security systems and your body aren't freaking out. So like make enough money, protect your meat suit. Yep. But then it's find your flow states. And it's it's such like we have to rescue words from cliche isms, yep. chasms. Mm -hmm. And like there's all this research on flow states. And if I'm not sure what I'm trying to say, but if you can find a way to touch a flow state every day and you've engineered that flow state, that the byproducts of that flow state either add to your security right. base or help people, you have found a way through the game of life, period. You know, And if it can do both of those things where it helps people and it adds to your security blanket that you're, if it adds to your castle, and it adds to people's enjoyment of you yeah. doing the castle, I think that's as good as you can get it. For sure. Until for sure. the wave comes. Yeah. If you can enjoy the process of castle building, you did it. Knowing you, that you, it's you, futile. Yeah, yeah you, won, you, won, you won the, if you enjoy the process of castle building, that you figured out the trick to the game. Because if you're sitting there, like, you know, if you're like laying bricks, and you look at like a pile of unlaid bricks and you're just like, mm. fuck, 
I gotta lay all these bricks. Oh my god! But if you can just be in like a flow state of just like the spackle goes down, the brick, and like never even think about it, and you're in like a med- meditation, it's like you're not even thinking about the pile. Right. You're just like you're in the the dance of it. You, yeah. you know? Yeah. That that is if you can if you can turn whatever it is into a joyous act of just expression of life of existence of dancing it's like that's it that's it let's bring it way down to the practical what are your go-to flow activities and then could you pick one and give people a super high resolution step-by-step how you go about well it's, it's absolutely podcasting i mean that's really the only like mainstay one in my life at this point like it has been playing music in the past it has been um martial arts in the past when i was younger um i grew up doing martial arts and was you know very serious about it for from the time i was young all the way through high school but um, but now it's definitely podcasting and i think what flow really demands you know there's i mean read stealing fire you know listen to Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler podcasts and whatever, like they're going to have way more hacks and tricks than what I am. But for me, it is repetition and sharpening your instrument, you know, and for us, the instrument is, is banter. It's ranting, it's doing it. And some days I'm going to sit down behind the microphone and I'm going to launch into like a seamless flow state where I literally don't even think throughout the whole conversation and it's over and I'm like, what did we talk about? And that is like the <laughs> definition of a flow state. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a sense of timelessness. It's a sense of like, you're not thinking, you're, you're not even aware of time. It's just like time is passing and you're just so mindful and on the, on the edge of what you're doing that it's like to think about it would immediately remove you from it. And there are some days where I'm going to like, you know, try to catch a wave and fall, try to catch a wave and fall. Try, and it's just, it's just like anything else, you know, yeah. it's just get out there and try over and over again. And suddenly you'll find yourself, you'll just, you'll just find yourself there. You'll just find yourself there. Do you find that you have any weird idiosyncratic rituals that you find that you do around podcasting that you f- feel enhance the likelihood of you catching a wave? You know, I have things I do, but I I think that they're almost more placebo than anything else. For sure, but let's fucking you know, it's like lion's mane, mushrooms, like for sure, coffee, like you know, things like that. Like sometimes I'll, if I'm really nervous about one, I'll write I'll write some things down, but usually it winds up not even getting used, you know, or it starts there and then we just diverge into the like you know, curiosity thicket and we're chopping away and we're like, well, that in, that direction looks interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's like swing our machetes over there. Right. And you know, that's usually the way it goes. But man, it's like all you, it's like you have to feel each individual thing. You have to feel the anxiety leading up to it. You have to wade through the unsureness. And this is, and, and, and I think it applies to everything. I, I don't, you know, I like to be, I. I like to dispense with the idea that there are hacks and there are like perfect ways to analytically curate better outcomes. I know there are, I know there are, but I like the, I like the idea of just stepping in there. I like mm-hmm. the idea of just stepping in there and doing like just going for it. You know, that's really what I like to do. And, you know, 
I think that that comes with it, with everything. Wh whatever you feel pulled toward, and if you earnestly want to get better at it, you will just do it enough that eventually you'll achieve that flow and you'll achieve that. You'll become an adept, you know, you know, you'll become that thing. But, you know, it's it's cliche. It's like you got to get in there over and over and over and over yeah. again and just do it. When I hear stuff like that, and I agree, I imagine the person who's like, who hearing that just feels bad about themselves. You know, and it's like, what can we articulate at what point to help the person who's kind of on the edge, who 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 knows that that's true, but finds that they're just not doing it. And then they feel bad. They're like, fuck, what's wrong with me? You know, and so I, I guess what I'm trying to zoom in on is like, was there maybe a moment in your past where there was like a aha moment where it was like, I'm just gonna start doing. Like, is there a story that you have where you went from There's, not doing to doing the thing that you know would create struggle, but then creates the flow state and you do it constantly and it makes you an adept. We've probably talked about inertia before and just overcoming it and you know taking something that is either stuck in a rut or not in motion or doesn't even exist yet and then creating it and rocking it back and forth and getting the motion started and then suddenly Oh, now it's rolling, you know? Right. And for me, it, in some ways, some things are rolling, but in other ways, it still feels like I'm rocking it back and forth. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, and, and I think that there are these sort of paralleling things that were this, these paralleling inertias that we need to overcome. Like you'll figure part of it out and then there will be the next thing. You're like, I got to figure that one out, but mm -hmm. I got to keep this one rolling too. And you know, what I would say to the person, hypothetical person who's out there feeling bad because they're not doing this thing is like, it's a very simplistic answer. And it's the only antidote to the way you're feeling is to actually do the thing. Like the, the thing that you're feeling bad about not doing, it's like a funny thing because the answer is clearly to do the thing that you're not doing. That's the answer. But still, still, we sabotage ourselves. We were talking yeah. about this before, like before we were rolling. It's like, how is it that you can have this earnest desire to like, I'm just gonna get up today and be super productive and do mm -hmm. this thing. And then suddenly four hours later, you find yourself jerking your time off into oblivion of like, you know, doing whatever, you know? Yeah. And I, that is a very difficult question, why, why people continuously do that. And I think there has to be the right pressures around you. You know, like my friend, uh, Greg and I that I'm staying with down here, we're talking about this earlier, is like when we were in a band together, there was this enormous social pressure to get together three times a week when we all knew like mm. we practiced, we practiced Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So I'm going to play music those days. You know, like there's that, there's that pressure, there's that tribal pressure and like the commitment to one another that you have where, you know, if you're like, guys, I'm not really feeling today, I'm not going to show up. You just like fucked up four of your friends day, you know? And if you don't have hmm. that tribal pressure, that can be, you know, maybe you're, maybe some people have that, like, I'm going to get out there and just get it. I'm just going to get it. I'm going to sling that big dick energy today. I'm just going to go out there and stomp it. Some people have that. Some people don't. Some people need the tribal pressure. Some people need whatever it is, you know, the financial pressure, the something to like, 
to get them along. So maybe yeah. it's maybe you haven't found the right people yet. Yeah. Maybe you haven't found the right motivation yet. But it's it's tricky. Th- those those weird like siren songs that lull us into not doing the shit that we know we need to do. It's right. like it's such a such a bitch. I think I think one of the reasons why I'm so obsessed with myths is that I think if you take ownership of the one that you tell yourself that if you simultaneously know this is bullshit, mm-hmm. you're going to die and everything you do is going to be forgotten one day. But also dramatizing it so much that like the thing I do in the morning that no one sees, it feels like a mythical event. Yeah. Because I've blown it up. You know, I've I fucking I have inflated my ideal self and the and the path of discipline and honing I think I have to do to become that thing that is completely an egotistical thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like it creates this pressure in me where like it's not even pressure. It really feels like gravity. It feels mm-hmm, like I am mm-hmm. pulled, which um, but yeah, I, I was just thinking about that while you were talking about the tribal pressure because I totally see that. And then I think like I've self-created that through the voluntary indulging in the yeah. lie of the myth, mm-hmm. you know, but it's a useful lie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the myth, like myth can be a gateway to, to that momentum, to that, you know, overcoming that initial inertia obviously you're trying to turn inertia into momentum you know and it's like i mean you have gone how many weeks in a row have you done podcasts now probably like 16 right i mean if you just didn't do it you would feel all kinds of like "Ah, i gotta do a podcast fuck you know and that's because you have this momentum built up now and you know and and you could argue that was the same thing about not disappointing your bandmates, but then there's that additional social pressure. But there has to be a point where something like you you merge with this thing. You merge with this oh, absolutely. this notion that you've been fantasizing about. And it goes from fantasy to like boom, like it's there now. And until that happens, you you probably are gonna have that bad feeling. And maybe that bad feeling is just fuel. Maybe that's the maybe it's like maybe it needs to gurgle and and you know just roil in your gut until it's like fuck and you just eventually one day do it you know maybe that's yeah. maybe that's the answer and for anyone so have you did you see the Jim Carrey video that Tim Ferriss put on his uh email this week i no i didn't so um it's it's a great montage of Jim Carrey basically talking about how like he he took the time to really envision exactly what he wanted and he achieved it and just he kind of talked about like what that was like and like for me personally is that the story where he wrote himself the check for 10 million dollars right, or whatever right and th- and then he dropped a bomb at the end of the video and he was like you're going to get to a point if you achieve what you want where you have to make the choice um to let the mask that you created to achieve it die and risk people abandoning you for who you really are or you kill who you really are Mm. and Mm -hmm. and he basically was like in order for me to achieve what i wanted i felt like i had to be something other than what i was dude that's the moment of like sacrificing your potential to choose a fucking adventure you know it's like before you go on the adventure 
you could go anywhere, right? right. You could go anywhere. Paralysis analysis, the, mm-hmm. the Soren Kierkegaard thing. That I could be anything. Up. Yeah, right? So I'm nothing. But the moment you're like, I'm going to be that, you just killed how infinite right. other potentials in your life. To you decide know? means to cut away. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, that's exactly what happens is you fucking cut down all the things that you could be to become an actual thing. But the mm-hmm. opposite is worse. If you maintain the illusion that you could be anything, you don't become anything. You become nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You gotta be you gotta be brave enough to fucking like feed yourself to the to the wolves of one thing. You know what I mean, yeah. man? You gotta you gotta be brave enough to just be like, hope that's not a pit of spikes. You yeah. know, it's like you just gotta fucking go for it. You just have to. And that's dude, I think that is the chief, I think sloth is like the chief chief demon of our time, you know. Just that, well, I could just keep doing what I had. You know, yeah. it's not that bad. I see it as it's apathy, but it's for yeah, sure yeah. the same it's, yeah. vibe. Mm-hmm. It's it's this, yeah, and like there's something about apathy where it's like stagnant water, and in stagnant water you get disease. Yeah. And like apathy is this thing that the moment you get there, you're holding on to a thing that uh, it begins to corrode everything that touches it. And like, Apathy will turn you into fucking hateful. Yeah. At, you know, first it'll make you resentful. And then you'll just, you'll be hateful. And you're like, you actively, life is already suffering. Mm-hmm. And once you get to that state, because of the core of apathy, you just add to the suffering of the world that, mm-hmm. um, like, I don't know, man. It's like you become like a time hoarder. You know what I mean? It's like you, maybe you're not hoarding physical things, where it's like this outward you're like expression a of your neuroses. Hoarder, yeah, it's like you know when someone's hoarding, it's like clearly this person's mentally not well. Right. And it's like a physical manifestation of their depression, of their you know neurosis. Yeah, whatever the their combination of neuroses is. But I think a lot of us are are hoarders in a different sort of way, where it's like. We we don't pollute our surroundings with things. We pollute our ourselves by like diluting our potential with that apathy, with that sloth, with that lack of action. And then that, like mm. you said, it it creates pernicious stories. It creates poisonous stories and like justifications that you tell yourself to keep yourself in that cocoon of like not exposing yourself or you know of like. I can just sit here and just judge and just judge on the couch and just yeah. stay warm and just keep eating hot dogs. And it's just like, you know, that that is hoarding, man. That's hoarding behavior. It's just, it's it's like weird self-protective, you know, shirking away from life that is actually doing, it's just all you're doing is consuming yourself. It's like you're yeah. consuming yourself in a weird, in, in, like you said, stagnant water, man. Like you're creating a psychic cesspool of inactivity for sure. Now that you've chosen to um, write a book, is, is that kind of the next thing that you're mm-hmm. um, allowing to consume you? You know, like, is, is that the one thing that you are going to be eaten by the wolves of? I'm really hoping so. I'm really hoping so. It is something I'm definitely going to do. I just don't want to jump the gun with it. And the circumstances have to be right. The concept has to be right. I've gone through 
I don't know how many podcasts we've done now where I'm like, I think I've got the like thing. Now I've got the like iteration because it's like, like you were talking about, I don't have any shortage of ideas. It's about present. It's, it's about what is the most searing, white, hot, irresistible way to package these conversations right. in a way that is like extremely important for me to say, because if it's not important for me to say, then what I'm doing a little like, look at me, guys, look at what I can do. I can write a book and fuck that. I don't want to do that. Like, you know, that's not that's like I might as well just buy a nice watch or something. You know, it's like I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in taking the ideas that have been the most transformative and awe-inspiring for me and figuring out how to portray them as such for other people to to make it like irresistible for them to to start moving in a progressive direction yeah. you know without any bullshit without any hacks without any like here's the secret answers like without any of that just like this is going to excite you this is going to not feed you a line of bullshit about like here's the secret behind the curtain but it's just like, guess what's behind the curtain? More mystery. Guess what's behind the next curtain? More mystery. Guess what's behind the next curtain? Right. More mystery. Right. And I want, and, and that sounds almost like defeatist, but there's a way to approach that with utter excitement. And that's what I've found. Like, that's the only real lesson I think I've found through what you and I do is not that like, oh, finally, I found the answer. It's like, oh, finally, I found the next mystery. I found the next mm. thing to contextualize and like, bring into the mystery yeah you know so yeah i'm hoping i'm hoping that i can find a way to say that in in an irresistible form i find that what helps uh with my creative mind is i set down the container first and then once i set down the container it's like okay i can't change this and then yeah, I can spew right. the creativity into the box of it can't be other than this. But the only way that I can do that is to have the idea of there will be more books. But like right. back when I first started to try to write a book a couple of years ago, I was like, this is the book. This is the book. And I couldn't fucking allow myself to even really write it mm -hmm. because there was, I was putting so much pressure on this having to be the book as opposed to a book. And that's why I started writing blog posts. Is it kind of like helped me develop that like, okay, this is just a thing. This is a thing in the unfolding of the things that I will think, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like this has to be the book or that it is a book? Um, both, because I think whatever the book, unless you have a scope where you're like planning out multiple books in advance, I think you need to think like it's the book. I think I you need to saying, think sure. like to think it's a book be, is a leisure that not most yeah. people get to even yeah. indulge, especially if it's their first book. Mm -hmm. Like your first book better be the book if you want the chance yeah. to do more a books. Right, right. It's it'd be kind of like saying like when you're having this kid, is this the kid or is this like <laughs> a kid? You know, it's like oh, if I fuck this one up, whatever. You know, like I, I want to believe that Her. it's like everything. I want to believe that this book is fucking everything, and then when it's over. I'll realize it wasn't everything. And but I, I am operating under the like, this is the book. This is like, you know, I, I need to like, I need to do everything I can to not like fuck up this baby, basically. And and I do have a container for it that I'm pretty, pretty sold on that I will tell you off the air. Cool. Beautiful. <laughs> well, man, 
I appreciate you coming on, brother. Anytime, man. I'm, I'm super stoked to be down here. Uh, it's, it's fantastic to finally check out this beautiful facility inhabited by a beautiful man who is sitting across the table from me right now. Where can people find you, connect to you, do the things? Uh, thirdeyedrops.com, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, you can just, just look up Third Eye Drops on your social platform of choice. <laughs> and you will probably find me. Beautiful. Namaste, everybody. <laughs>